So open your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. Second uh, Corinthians, of course, in the New Testament, it's the, what, eighth book of the New Testament, the four Gospels, uh, the book of Acts, and then Romans, <coughs> excuse me, and then First uh, and Second Corinthians, and we'll be in chapter 4 of that letter this morning. We will uh, go ahead and read from verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 4 down to the end of the chapter, but we'll really be focusing our attention on just the last three verses, verses 16 uh, through 18. But let's pick it up at verse 7 just to get a feel for the context of uh, what's going on here. So 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 7, Paul writes, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are uh, eternal. So we'll look this morning, as I said, uh, at just those uh, last three verses uh, in our our theme for the morning will be, we do, we do not lose heart. That's what Paul has to say there at the beginning of verse 16. And I want to just comment here right at the beginning that, that Paul's not, in this passage at least, commanding his readers to not lose heart. He's giving his testimony. Paul's saying, we do not lose heart. Paul and his companions Uh, in spite of all the hard circumstances and what he calls persecution and affliction and uh, perplexity back in verses uh, 8 and 9, his testimony is he doesn't lose heart. He's telling us about his own experience. And so what I want to do with our time this morning is to kind of look over his shoulder, as you will. He's going to give us, I think, uh, some clues as to what it is that enables him to not lose heart. I really have a two-part plan, and I'll just tell you where we're headed. We'll talk for just a few minutes about what it means to actually lose heart. What is Paul uh, describing when he uses that phrase? 
And then after we've done that, I want us to look at uh, what's here in these three verses and see what we can come away with uh, in terms of help uh, for not losing heart. So first, what does it mean? And then secondly, uh, how do we not lose heart? And I'm going to do this uh, just at the risk of uh, taking a little bit longer with this than I would, but I I think it'll help us if we actually see the handful of verses in the New Testament where Paul uses this expression. Okay, there's like half a dozen of them, and so I'm just going to show them to us now. Uh, And Can I just say here at the outset that these mountains in the background of these verses, no way on the planet that I had the technological savvy to make that happen. I'm going to give a shout out to Sarah Skelton here for uh, helping me with these mountains. Uh, They really look good and it's not my doing. So uh, Luke uh, chapter 18 verse 1, uh, Jesus tells the story and he says, now he was telling them, Luke tells us, now Jesus was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. So there's, uh, there's our phrase. Notice every time lose heart shows up in these verses, you also see the word not, okay? So this is, you know, something we're to avoid. I don't think anybody came to church this morning hoping, man, I hope Matt gives us, you know, three keys to losing heart this next week. That's not, uh, that's not the goal. Uh, the New Testament writers always include uh, the word not, Here's another one. It's actually at the beginning of the chapter that uh, we just read, the beginning of chapter 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, 2 Corinthians 4, 1. There's the verse we just read. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Just a couple more. Over in Galatians, Uh, He instructs the Galatians, uh, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. And then the last one, uh, sorry, there's two more. One in Ephesians, uh, he writes to the Ephesians, therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. And finally in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Uh, But as for you, brothers, do not grow weary. Uh, In the original, that's the same uh, Greek word as lose heart. Do not grow weary. Do not lose heart uh, in doing good. That's it. That's all the instances in the New Testament of uh, what this phrase means. And I think it's important for us to get our heads wrapped around what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean is to grow discouraged. When Paul is saying, uh, don't lose heart, he's not saying, don't grow discouraged. It doesn't mean to be uh, sad about something that's happened in our lives. He's not telling us here when he says, don't lose heart, that we're not going to cry over some of our circumstances. It doesn't even mean, I don't think, Uh, to not lose heart. It doesn't mean to wish our circumstances were different. I think it's possible actually to do all those things and still not to lose heart. And I think that for a couple of reasons. One of them is right there in 2 Corinthians. Uh, Let your eye run down the page (laughs) to chapter 5. And in chapter 5, in verse 2, Paul says, For indeed in this house... We groan, 
longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. He says it again in verse 4. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Chapter 4, we don't lose heart. Chapter 5, we groan. The same we. So the same Paul who in chapter 4 gives his testimony, we don't lose heart, lets us know in chapter 4 that he groans. And of course, groaning uh, is associated with severe physical or emotional pain. And so Paul uh, is, he's suffering to the point that he's groaning because of his circumstances. And even in that groaning, he doesn't lose heart. The second reason I think it doesn't mean to grow discouraged or to feel down or to wish things were different is the example of the Lord Jesus himself. If you think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he goes to the cross, it says that, uh, I jotted it down so I get the, the uh, quote right, he's deeply grieved to the point of death. Uh, one of the writers tells us that he, his uh, sweat was like great drops of blood. He, he prays, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. And it certainly is the case that Jesus didn't lose heart even in the middle of what he was uh, experiencing there. So I think for us to understand this right, what we have to understand, and so here's my definition of losing heart, it's discouragement that leads to disobedience. It's being discouraged, being uh, so down about what's going on in our lives, what's going on in our lives, that we turn back from following Jesus. Discouragement, grief, wishing things were different, that's part of the Christian life. That's part of the world we live in. When those things cause us to turn back or even to drift away from our allegiance to Jesus, I believe at that point we're experiencing uh, losing heart. And that's not typically, I don't think at least, a kind of quick, sudden thing. The writer of the Hebrews uses the little phrase, drift away, and I think that's what happens. I think when our circumstances are tough, we can just drift away and uh, lose that close connection with the Lord that we might have had earlier. Most of you know that by uh, profession, I'm a math teacher. Uh, you guys here in the second or third row, just forgive me of this, okay? I'm a math teacher and have been now for about 40 years. Uh, 35 of those at the same uh, private school in Houston. My first year of teaching, I still remember vividly. And every teacher, no matter where they are in their career, remembers their first year of teaching vividly. Because it's the hardest year of everybody's teaching career. When I started teaching, uh, I was 21 years old. Uh, my oldest students were 18. I was out at Jersey Village High School, uh, a little bit north and east of here. Uh, and I looked every bit of my 21 years. Uh, one day I drive into the faculty parking lot and the security guard says, you can't park here. Students aren't allowed to park in this parking lot. And I said, I'm not a student, I'm wearing a tie. How many students on this campus have a tie on? None of them did. Uh, but I looked uh, very young, had no clue how to get teenagers to do what I wanted them to do. 
Uh, I just thought they were all going to come sit in and for 45 minutes hold on to every word I had to say about the quadratic formula. Not the case. Not the case. That's a long, difficult, tough year. And there are a lot of points in that first year of teaching where teachers are uh, tempted to lose heart because there's a lot of tears, there's a lot of frustration, there's a lot of of wondering, you know, am I going to get through this? And either uh, you're tempted to just throw in the towel and resign on the spot or just to kind of mail it in, what I would call drifted away, just stop trying to uh, do the things that you know you're supposed to be doing. And I think for us, there's a lot of things that can cause us to lose heart. There are a lot of things in our lives that work the same way as uh, things work in that first year of teaching. I'm going to just go back and show us a couple of these that are right here in the text, the different text. I'll just pick a couple of them. Uh, Here's one. So Jesus in Luke 18 encourages his disciples to not lose heart. And the implication here, because he tells them uh, that they ought to pray, is that, and then he goes on, of course, to tell the story of the persistent widow. So I think what's going on here is Jesus knows that we pray for something, and we pray for it, and we pray for it, and nothing ever seems to change. The circumstance doesn't seem to change. And so we're just tempted to give up and uh, to lose heart. Sometimes it's just long-term suffering. It's a long-term health challenge, or it's a job that doesn't get any better, or we're in a marriage where it just seems so hard and it doesn't seem to improve, or we have a friend that we've shared the gospel with over and over again, and they never seem to respond. I don't think people lose heart quickly, I think we lose heart when it's a difficult circumstance that extends over a long period of time. And discouragement, right, is just part of the world we're in. I mean, it's not, uh, none of us is a stranger to discouragement. There are people in the room who are feeling discouraged, uh, who wish their circumstances were different, who are feeling sad this morning, who haven't lost heart. And what Paul wants for us, what the Lord wants for us, is to face those situations which are going to come. We're in a fallen world, and they're part of our uh, experience, and he wants us to face them in a way that honors him, and he wants us to face them in a way uh, where we avoid losing heart. And so I think what Paul's going to do for us in these three verses in 2 Corinthians is he's going to give us some help. He's going to give us some uh, clues and some insights into how he was able to avoid losing heart that I believe will be uh, helpful for us as well. Before we get into that, just one more word about Paul. If anybody uh, had occasion to lose heart, it was the Apostle Paul. Think about the hardship and the suffering and the affliction that was his over his long years of ministry. When Paul came to Christ in Acts chapter 9, I don't know how many of you remember this, but uh, the Lord Jesus said of him specifically, I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. And all of Paul's ministry over two or three decades, 
his life is marked by imprisonments and beatings and shipwrecks. There's a snake bite thrown in for good measure at the end of uh, the book of Acts. It's just one thing after another. And it's his testimony that in the midst of that, in the midst of all that hardship and suffering that he experienced, uh, he didn't lose heart. So he's an expert. Uh, this is not somebody that's just read a couple of books. Paul's actually an expert at not losing heart in the midst of uh, severe <clears throat> uh, suffering. So let's go back and read those three verses again, and then I'll show you uh, what we're going to do to try to get at uh, Paul's uh, insights in terms of not losing heart. So verse 16 of 2 Corinthians uh, 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Okay, here's what we're going to do. There's three little words in those verses that I think will give us some help in what Paul's thinking is in terms of not losing heart. They may not be the three words that uh, you would have picked, but I think they're important. The word therefore at the beginning of verse 16. The word uh, but in the middle of verse 16. And the word for at the beginning of verse 17. I'm going to let those three words kind of guide our thinking here for the next few minutes. And let's see if we can get at what Paul uh, has to say about not losing heart. Therefore, at the beginning of 16, but in the middle of 16, for at the beginning of verse 17. I'm actually going to start with the word but. Uh, there in the middle of 16. We do not lose heart, but though, and then he goes on and says the rest. So the word but, of course, uh, apply, uh, you know, it's a, it's a contrast. A, but B, there's a, a difference, there's a contrast between the two things on either side of the but. Uh, Rice would have won the football game, but the other team scored 50 more points than they did, right? Uh, the Astros would have won the World Series in 2019, but in Game 7, the manager pulled Zach Greinke and replaced him with uh, Will Harris instead of... Okay, I'm going to get over this someday. Someday I'll be over this. It's only three years out, and I'm still mourning that World Series loss. But, but, uh, she would have gone with him to prom, but... I'll just let you fill in the blank. You don't need me to say any more about that. But... There's a contrast, A, but B, uh, these two things are different. And so what's going on here in verse 16, just look at it with me, the but separates losing heart and this condition that Paul describes as a decaying outer man and yet a inner man that's being renewed. Okay, you see it? On the one hand, we have losing heart. It's not that. What it, Paul's experiencing instead is a decaying outer man 
but an inner man that's being renewed. And so let's start with this outer man that's decaying. That's true of all of us. All of us have an outer man that's decaying. My outer man has been decaying longer than uh, most of yours has. But for all of us, no matter what our age is, that's, what happen that's what's happening. Our outer man is decaying. We're closer today to our death than we've ever been. You're closer to dying today than you've ever been at any point in your life. And that's true of all of us. And, and so it's inevitable. That's the human experience that our outer man is decaying. If I can just uh, sidetrack myself for uh, a minute or two here. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your trust in Christ as your Savior, if you've never acknowledged Him as your Lord, your outer man is decaying too. That's the testimony of the Bible. You're closer to death today than you've ever been. And your inner man is not being renewed. The only way your inner man can be renewed is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if that's you, if you're outside of Christ, your outer man is decaying. And what you need to do, uh, and what I would urge you to do, is to consider the truths of the gospel, that Jesus died for your sins and has opened a way for you to have a relationship with God, uh, that he's made it possible for your inner man to be renewed. I want to say just one thing about this uh, inner person renewal for right now, and that's the little phrase at the end of verse 16. Our inner man is being renewed day by day. Every day, Paul says, his inner man is being renewed. It's not a for the, for the child of God, for the one who's been redeemed and who's trusted in Christ for their Savior, it's not like you get a one, <laughs> I hesitate to use this picture, there's no vaccination for the inner man being renewed. You need boosters, okay? It's not a once and for all thing that our inner person is being renewed. Day by day, the inner person has to be renewed. We needed grace yesterday, we need grace today, and we'll need it tomorrow. It's not a, a one-off. Every day, our inner person uh, has to be renewed. And what Paul's going to do, and what he does do in these three verses, is give us <clears throat> um, some clues. He gives us some clues as to how his inner person is being renewed day by day. So the other two words that I mentioned for us here, therefore, at the beginning of verse 16, and for at uh, the beginning of verse 17, I want us to look at those two things, because I think those two things are going to point us to what was key in Paul experiencing this inner renewal. Okay, so stick with me. Verse 16 Therefore, a little more grammar, when you see the word therefore, of course, it should point us back to what came before that word. So, uh, I was hungry, therefore I ate. The reason that I ate is because I was hungry. And so what Paul is going to do here in verse 16, he's going to tell us that the reason that his inner man is being renewed day by day, the reason he doesn't lose heart, is because of what came before. 
And I'm not going to spend long uh, with this because I want us to focus a little more closely on uh, verse 17. But what comes before, uh, in particular, I think you find in verse 14, Paul knows that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. So I think Paul's talking about his hope uh, for resurrection. He's looking at the future and he recognizes that Jesus will uh, one day raise Paul from the dead and he'll spend eternity in Jesus' presence. And not just uh, Paul himself, but also his believing Corinthian readers. He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. And so uh, he's encouraged. He doesn't lose heart. He keeps going uh, even when it's hard because of the hope of the resurrection. Uh, you don't have to turn back there, but at the very end of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul spent a long chapter talking about the resurrection of Christ and then the resurrection of the believer. <clears throat> and he says at the end of that long chapter, it's in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So the, the idea there is we'll keep going in the Christian life even when it's hard uh, because of the hope of the resurrection. And that's what I think uh, Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, looking back uh, at verse 14, because of the resurrection, uh, I'm not going to lose heart. Okay, come back to that in a minute. Let's look at 4 in verse 17. So the 4 tells us to look ahead, right? Uh, I ate, 4, I was hungry. So I did this because of that. And so what is going to follow the word for in verse 17 is going to give us again a clue as to why Paul didn't lose heart. And so here's what he says in verse 17, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. All right, let's be clear on this. Uh, we've got time to go over and have a look at this. Keep your thumb there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and flip uh, over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So just a few chapters later. <clears throat> and I want us to see what uh, Paul is describing as momentary light affliction, just so we've got the picture. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 23. So he writes, same Paul, same letter, same readers. Are they, his opponents, servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been in frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. Remember, these are momentary light afflictions that he's describing. 
Verse 27, I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who's weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? So here's Paul, who's suffered all of this, who's afflicted, and he describes uh, those afflictions as momentary and light. And he can only do that, of course, because he's comparing them with the eternal weight of glory. Let's see if I can find this. Yeah, here it is. So back in Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, uh, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so I think it's the same idea here in 2 Corinthians 4.17. Momentary light afflictions producing for us an eternal weight of glory. And you can see the contrast, can't you? Three words, momentary light affliction eternal weight of glory, momentary, um, contrasted with eternal, light contrasted with weight, and then uh, affliction, of course, uh, contrasted with glory. And so I believe what Paul's saying is, I don't lose heart because I know that what I'm suffering is going to lead to an eternal weight of glory. And I, I think that it's important, it's significant uh, what comes between the momentary light affliction and the eternal weight of glory. It's not that momentary light affliction will be followed by an eternal weight of glory. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that the momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. It's causing it. It's, it the, the Greek word literally means it's giving it. So the outcome of the momentary light affliction that Paul is suffering, that we're suffering because of this world we live in, is an eternal weight of glory. And I think the idea is this, as we respond in obedience to uh, our circumstances, no matter how hard they are, right? And Paul acknowledges that they're hard. He groans. So whether that's uh, a health challenge that lingers for years and years, or whether that's the loss of someone we love, or whether that's, um, you know, a marriage or family relationship that doesn't get any better. As we remain obedient in those circumstances, as we continue to love that spouse that doesn't love us back, as we continue to follow Jesus, even in the midst of our loss, as we joyfully give thanks for what we have in the midst of that long-term health challenge, our eternal reward is increasing. It's growing. It's that momentary light affliction and our response to us is producing for us an eternal weight of glory that, uh, Paul says, is far beyond all comparison. And so the reason he doesn't lose heart, one, he knows about the resurrection. He knows Jesus is going to come back and raise him and his Corinthian uh, believing readers with him, and he'll be with him for eternity. But he also knows that the suffering, the affliction 
that he's going through is producing for him, is causing for him a greater heavenly reward. And I, and I actually think it's not all future. That eternal weight of glory, I think, begins to rest on us even now as we faithfully uh, serve and uh, worship and follow in the midst of affliction and hardship. I think even now you can see that weight of glory uh, starting to settle on uh, some of the people that you know. But in eternity, that eternal weight of glory will actually have been caused by our obedience in the faiths of uh, this suffering. So those are the two reasons Paul doesn't lose heart. He focuses on the resurrection. He focuses on the fact that suffering is causing for him this eternal weight of glory. And so the only thing I've got left to say something about is there in verse 18. How is it that Paul, what's the right word, appropriates, let's call it that. How is it that he engages these uh, realities that cause him to not lose heart? And he tells us in verse 18 that it's by looking at things that he can't see with his eyes. You see it there, verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are uh, not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So the word look there in the verse, while we look, that word's got some intentionality about it. He's fixing his eye on the things that are not seen. He's purposefully, and almost has the idea of looking at something as like you're looking at a target. He's looking at things that he can't see with his physical eyes, these spiritual realities that uh, we've been describing, uh, because he knows those are really the things that matter. Those are the things that are eternal. Those are the things that will last. And for me, it's just convicting to think about what I've looked at this week. Where's my, where have my eyes been? It's so often on things that are temporal. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't look at any of those things ever, but when I think about how much of my time has just been consumed with gazing and fixing my eyes on, you know, fill in the blank, uh, sports scores, cable news, uh, the stock market, you know, on and on and on. We could list these things that we can see and we get uh, wrapped up in when what Paul is uh, encouraging us to do here by example is to fix our eyes on the things that are not seen. And as we do that, uh, what will happen, I believe, is that we'll be encouraged and be able to not lose heart in the midst of uh, whatever hard situation we're in. I'll uh, close. I was going to show us some examples from the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. But I think instead, I'll just show us one example uh, in Hebrews chapter 12. So let me ask you to turn over there, Hebrews, uh, a few books later in your New Testament. And I'll show you the great uh, example of a person who didn't lose heart. in the midst of um, incomparable suffering. 
So Hebrews 11, we get a lot of uh, Old Testament heroes who didn't lose heart in the midst of uh, their suffering. But in chapter 12, we actually get the great example of the Lord Jesus himself. And I want us just to uh, read this. I'll make a quick comment, and then I'll uh, pray, and we'll be done. Uh, Isaiah says of uh, Jesus, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, he will not be disheartened or crushed. He won't lose heart. And here, uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us at least one of the ways Jesus was able to not lose heart in the midst of his suffering. Here it is, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And catch this, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, counting the shame as of little uh, account, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus, for the joy set before him, because he could see what was coming in eternity, he was going to be uh, with the Father uh, forever, and he was going to bring millions from every tribe and tongue and nation into eternity with him. Uh, for that joy, he endured the cross, <clears throat> despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then look at the exhortation that the writer of Hebrews gives his readers, uh, folks who were in danger of losing heart. For consider him, Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let me pray for us, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be done this morning. Father, it's, uh, it's easy to read uh, these verses. It's uh, easy comparatively to talk about them. It's hard to live this way. And we need your grace and your help <clears throat> if we're going to not lose heart, if we're going to remain faithful in the midst of the heartache and the afflictions and the suffering that are ours because of this world that we live in. I thank you that a day is coming when none of that will be part of our reality, where the things that we long to do and the things that we're permitted to do will be one and the same, where you'll wipe every tear from our eyes and there'll be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, and you'll make all things new. We uh, look forward uh, to that day. But we're living, Father, in this day, a day where we need to be renewed, we need to be encouraged, we need your comfort, and we need your help. Would you help us to not lose heart? Help us to remain faithful and to look to the reward and to keep our eyes on things that we can only see with our hearts and our minds. 
I thank you for your word and for its encouragement to us. I pray for my friends here, for my brothers and sisters, that this week you would enable us uh, to not lose heart and to live in a way that will attract others around us who may not know you and uh, will make them want to have a relationship with you for themselves. We do pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.